Revelation chapter 3, uh, beginning in verse 7, is our text today. As you saw on the screen, the church at Philadelphia, the sixth of seven churches in Asia Minor that we are studying here at Great Hills. Revelation chapter 3, begin reading in just a moment in verse 7. Uh, like most of these churches, I just cannot get everything in one a message, so we're going to do a part one and a part two of the church at Philadelphia. Part one is verses 7 through 9. And then in two weeks from today, uh, we'll pick up with verse 10. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Deacon Chairman. Uh, you surprised me, but I appreciate uh, that kind word and gesture. And I know my wife deeply appreciates that. She loves flowers, so you have a friend for life uh, in my bride. So God bless you. Thank you, church family, for uh, tolerating us, putting up with us for four years. And you think I've been here a long time. Listen to this. Lovey Edgar has been here since 1954, and uh, Lovey is leaving us. She is moving to East Tennessee uh, to be with her family. But Miss Lovey, would you stand and let us honor you and recognize you? There she is, right here in the middle. Amen. Miss Lovey, God bless you. Wow. We're going to miss her so much. What a sweet, precious, godly lady. Been here since 1954. That was 10 years before uh, I was even born. So God bless you. We love you. Thank you for your just being who you are, Lovey. You are a wonderful saint of God, and we love you very much. So this church here in Philadelphia, what, what a great thing it is. I was just leaned over to tell uh, David there. I said, Jesus has no complaints, none, for the church at Philadelphia. There's only two churches of the seven that he really has no word of criticism, and it's the church at Smyrna and also this church here in Philadelphia. So today we're going to walk through the, the, the city, we're going to walk through the church, we're going to just look at the words of Christ, the way uh, he describes this church, and then we're going to draw some practical application toward the end. So let me read to you, it begins in verse 7, to the angel, the angelos of the church in literally Philadelphia. Uh, phileo means to love, and adelphos means a brother. And that's why we have in uh, the great state of Pennsylvania, we've named a whole city after this very name, Philadelphia, which means the city of brotherly love. Phileo, love. Adelphos is brother. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, these things says he. Now the he undoubtedly, unquestionably is Jesus Christ. And he is about to give a five-fold description of who he is. He is holy, he is true, he has the key of David. He who opens and nobody shuts, and Jesus shuts doors that nobody can open. And I know your works, he said. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. Nobody can shut this open door, for you have... Not mega or macro, but the Greek word there literally is micros. It's the prefix for words like microscope or uh, microbiology, if you will. It's, it means small, almost unidentifiable, and, and so small. But Jesus says you have a small strength. You have kept my word. Okay, You've been obedient to me, and you have not denied my name. To me, that communicates this church was obedient and very faithful to Jesus Christ. And then in verse 9, the Lord says, I, I, Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan. That's the second time we have met these people. We met them earlier on in the, 
in, in Revelation 2 where it talks about the synagogue of Satan, those who were Jews in name, in culture, in race, but they were not true Jews, as we'll talk about it in a moment. They say they are Jews, but they are not, but they lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. So this church in Philadelphia, known as the the church of, of love, the church of compassion, the church that had many good deeds and works, and Jesus has no complaint, no criticism, only words of affirmation, approbation, approval. And so today what I want us to do is I just want us to have a good time studying God's Word and just identifying with this church and seeking those salient features of that church then and trying to apply those principles to our church today and also our individual lives. Uh, The title of the message is The Faithful Church. I almost entitled it The Church of the Open Door. I love this. The Church of the Open Door, Jesus said. Even though you've got a little strength, combined with my macro, amazing strength, you, church at Philadelphia, are going to be able to do Herculean, amazing, awesome things. So let's begin, number one, in your outline there with the word of identification. Let us identify the, core, the four key core names of the people and the places that are identified by Christ here in Revelation chapter 3. He says, unto the angelos. Number one, let's talk about the angel. Who is this angel of the Lord? Every one of these seven churches begins in the same way, in a preamble, if you will, to the message, to the angelos. Most people, myself included, believe this include, this means the, the pastor or the messenger of that local church, to the pastor, to the messenger, to the lead pastor of the church there in Philadelphia. These things I, Jesus Christ, want to tell you, and here's what I believe happened. I believe each one of these pastors received this apocalypse, this book, and when it came to their time and their city, I believe that pastor would stand up And he would read those words of blessing and sometimes words of rebuke to the respective churches. And so, number one, it would be to the angel or to the angelos, the messenger. But number two, let's look at the church itself. There's not a whole lot of data. There's not a whole lot of information as to the inception or the origin of the church in Philadelphia. The best we can ascertain is the church was planted, obviously, But it was probably planted in A.D. 55 by a man that you probably have heard of. His name is the Apostle Paul. He's ministering in Ephesus in Acts 19. If you look at verse 10, in Ephesus for three years, the Word of God goes out all over the world. And I believe some of that Word of God lands in this city, Philadelphia. And a church is birthed. It is born there. And I believe the Apostle Paul and his colleagues have planted this church in this, number three, in this city. Now, the city means, as we said a moment ago, it means brotherly love. And it was started in 190 BC. It's the youngest of the seven churches there in Asia Minor. It was started by two brothers. I don't know that I can say their names, but I have it written in my notes, so let me give it a shot. The two brothers' names were Eumenes II and Italus II. Now, in 190 B.C., one of these brothers started the city. We don't know which one it was, but one of them did. But whoever started it named it in honor of his brother because the Eumenes and Italus had such a deep 
phileo, a, a love for one another. And so they named the whole city in honor of the other brother. And so they named it the city of brotherly love or Philadelphia. It is modern-day Alasir, located about 25 miles just south of the previous city in Sardis. Interesting things about this city, and I just want to share some things with you, but bear with me. I know there's a lot of history here, a lot of geography, a lot of data, but you know what I'm discovering? If, if we'll do the minutiae, if we'll do this study and understand the, the context of the text, when Jesus says something, it makes it all the more applicable. It makes it all the more powerful when we understand the setting in which Jesus gave these pronouncements. So the city had an interesting trade route. It had a route that ran right through Philadelphia, then it went into the east, and it was known as this imperial route whereby Rome would deliver messages on the east, through the east, to the east, through the city of Philadelphia. A powerful earthquake decimated the city of Philadelphia in A.D. 17. You noticed it on our screens a minute ago. A.D. 17, the aftershocks of this earthquake continued for many years afterwards, so much so that by the time John writes these words of Jesus in A.D. 95, this city of Philadelphia is still suffering from fear. I mean, the people who lived through it, they told the generations coming after them, and they were petrified, literally petrified, of another devastating earthquake that could rock and destroy their city. An archaeologist by the name of William Ramsey wrote these words about Philadelphia. He said, many of the inhabitants remained outside the city and lived in booths and huts in fear of another earthquake. They practiced various devices to support and strengthen the walls and the houses that they did have. The memory of this disaster lived long. In dread always were the people. It's good. I think it was just a light. Amen. No fear. No fear. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Mm. They practiced various devices to support and strengthen the walls in, in, in case of a recurring shock. Now the memory lived long in the minds of the people. So by the time John writes these words, the people still had the habit of getting out of their homes, going into the open country just in fear of another subsequent earthquake. Keep that in mind. The last thing I want to tell you about the city of Philadelphia, probably more than you cared to, to want to know, but the city was known basically and primarily as a missionary city. This is very important. It was a city created to evangelize Hellenism. Now, Hellenism is where you, you're totally inundated with the Greek culture, Greek philosophy, Greek language, Greek gods, you name it. And Philadelphia, when it was created by these brothers, they, they wanted to evangelize the, the, all the surrounding areas. And many people believe that they accomplished that lofty goal of being a Hellenistic city that evangelized all the cities around them. And we know this because in AD 19, it was the only language spoken in all of Philadelphia. It was this language of, Greek, of, of the Greeks. So make note of those mental facts, and, and if we don't hit them today, then next week or in two weeks we'll come back to them. So we've recognized, we've identified the angel, the, the pastor, we've identified the city and the church, but most importantly and preeminently, 
I want us to take a few minutes and identify or let Jesus identify himself in the following ways. Number one, he says, the Holy One. Isn't it wonderful? Isn't it amazing to be able to serve a living God who is holy and righteous and pure and, and pristine and honorable? Never one time was anything associated with Jesus Christ that was not of holiness and virtue. And I promise you, you can study every religious figure, you can study every religion under the sun, and every single one of those progenitors, those who began that religion, they were humans and they were tainted with sin. Only one. Aren't you glad today that you worship the one true living Savior who never, ever, ever had an evil thought, an evil deed, an evil action, and an evil word? Jesus Christ identifies himself as holy. It reminds me of 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16, where it says, The Lord your God is holy, so therefore you be holy even as the Lord is holy. Number two, he identifies himself as truth. Are you all with me? To the angel of the church in Sardis, these things says he who has the seven spirits of God, and whoops, excuse me, verse 7, Philadelphia, he who is holy, look at this, verse 7, and he who is the truth. I'm so glad today that I don't have to debate or have to, to rationalize. Was Jesus really telling the truth? He is the truth. In fact, the Bible says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. But notice next the way Jesus describes himself, and this is fascinating to me. He says, I am the one who has the key of David. Now, what does this mean? Now, when you read in verse 7, if you'll notice in, in quotations... Jesus is literally quoting Isaiah 22, 22. Isaiah 22, 22. Let's put it on the screen. I think you'll, you'll recognize this. The Bible says in Isaiah 22, the key of the house of David, I will lay on his shoulder. Eleazar. He is the, the holder of the key. Okay, Eleazar, he will open and nobody shall shut and he shall shut and no one shall open. So basically, Revelation 3, 7, almost verbatim, is a quotation of Isaiah 22, 22. Now remember that Jesus and John, they presuppose that we know this. They presuppose that we have a thorough understanding of the law, the writings, and the prophets. And so this is why it's so incredibly important. Whenever they quote the Old Testament, it's important for us to understand why they are quoting the Old Testament. And here's what's going on. Jesus is saying, just like Eleazar, he held the key and access to the king of Israel, David. And anybody who wanted to come into the royal presence of David, they first must pass through the keeper of the gate or the keeper of the keys, and his name is Eleazar. And just as Eleazar gave permission or denied access to the king, Jesus says, that's my role as the door as the gate as the keeper. I am the one who opens up access to almighty God, to abundant life, to heaven above, and it is only through me and me alone that you gain access to the heavenly Father. That's powerful truth that Jesus is teaching. And then he says, number four, I am the one who opens doors, and I am the one who closes doors. Oh, I love this part. That's why I wanted to name the sermon the church of the open door. Jesus opens and Jesus closes. Now, I want you to tuck that in your mind for just a moment because I want to come back to this. And, because right now I'm just trying to identify the key players and the key places 
uh, as we really just begin to do our homework and our foundation work to the rest of the sermon. So number two is a word of commendation. Commendation. Now, before I go, though, can I, can I share, share something with you all, kind of a personal nature? And before I move into um, commendation, this word of identification uh, of an open door. Over the last few weeks, I have been given an open door. And I want to I share some of this with you as my church family. I have not talked about this yet, but I'm about to talk about it at the risk of being a little misunderstood. I do want to say this, though. For a number of years, I've been asked to preach on this network called the Church Channel. And they've asked me to join their lineup, and each time I just, I just haven't felt right. It haven't, hasn't been the right time. They said, we'll broadcast your sermons to over 2 billion people on the planet called the Church Channel. And so I'm just getting a little bit nervous as I'm talking about this because I don't like to talk about myself. But through prayer and fasting and seeking the Lord, doing some fundraising, we're at a point where Wednesday night, this Wednesday night, at 6.30, if you have cable TV in Austin, you'll be able to watch it, unless you got Time Warner, I'm sorry. But all the others, I think it's on. I just disappointed some people, but, um, but I'm literally, I don't get nervous usually when I preach. Usually I get nervous when I start, but right now my heart's beating real fast. But we're going to have an opportunity to broadcast the sermons preached from Great Hills Baptist Church, and they're going to go out possibly to as many as 2 billion people. I've prayed about this, I've sought the Lord on this, and it's going to happen starting Wednesday night, every Wednesday night at 6.30 in Austin, and then you do the time on the East Coast and the West Coast. And God, I believe has opened this door, something Ashley and I have talked about, we've prayed about, and we believe that God has given us this opportunity because we believe, and the people who approach me believe, that people are still, people are still hungry for Bible teaching. We've got lots of Bible preachers, but we need Bible teaching. And I don't know why God's put it upon me to do it, but I'm, I'm going to do it. And so... I believe it's, it's an open door that only Jesus could have opened, and so we're going to walk through it. And, and let, me, let me just share this with you, too, briefly. I was driving to church Easter, Easter Sunday, and I was going, Lord, is this really going to happen? And I was beginning to doubt. I mean, really, can we do this? And the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart. He said, this will happen. And here's why it's going to happen. There will be multiplied thousands of souls brought into the kingdom of God because of this broadcast. So don't worry about it. I'll take care of raising the money. You just do it. You be faithful in teaching the word. I'll tell you guys, you, you know when God speaks to you it, gives you, it gives you great confidence. It gives you great hope. All of this to say, when Jesus opens a door, you need to walk through it. But get, get this, if Jesus closes the door, the last thing you need to do is, you know what I'm saying? You ever tried to open a door that God has closed? You said, yeah, and that's why I try to look for a window, Brother Dan. If he closed the door, I'll hop through a window. Well, no. If God's closing the whole house down, the best thing you can do is wait on Jesus. All right? Wait on him. Be patient and let God do his perfect work. Okay? So the word of commendation. Let's look at the words of, uh, that God commends, Jesus commends, the church there in Philadelphia. Number one, he says, I owe da, I know intimately, I know completely your works. Now, this was a working congregation. They did good deeds. They, I, You know, I got to think, well, what were these good deeds? What were some of the things the church at Philadelphia that was, they were doing was so conspicuous? 
that the eyes of Jesus would take notice and say, I see what you are doing. I can't help but believe maybe they were ministering to the widows and ministering to the orphans. Perhaps they, as a, as a church in Philadelphia that was committed to evangelizing uh, Hellenism, the city, maybe they were committed to evangelizing Jesus, taking Jesus to the surrounding cities. So maybe missions, evangelism, orphans, widows, benevolence, standing strong for Jesus in the face of persecution. I don't know what all the works were, but I do know this, that when you and I engage in kingdom work, almighty God sees. He takes notice, and he will honor you, and he will bless me if we're faithful to doing his work, just like this church here in Philadelphia. Number two, he says, I see your open door. You have an open door of opportunity. And now watch this fascinating in verse 8. I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it. Do you know what the verb there is for can? You say, no, but I bet you're going to tell me. You're exactly right. The Greek word there for can is dunamis. Dunameo. It's where we get the English word dynamite. And Jesus is telling them, listen, I've given you such an open door and nobody or nothing can blow it apart or preempt it or stop it from happening. I have opened this door and nobody can close it. Isn't that a good word? Man, God gives you a, an open door and hell itself cannot prevent it or stop it from happening. Now, what is the open door? Let's talk about that for just a moment. What does it mean when Jesus says, there's an open door and it's going to happen? Well, a couple other places where this word door is used, and I believe it's used as a metaphor, is in Colossians and 1 Corinthians. And listen to this. Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us, that God would open to us a door, watch this, for the Word. For the Word of God. To speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in chains. So I think it's a door of opportunity to preach. But ne- notice this one. And this is one that I relate to more and more. The older I get, the more and more I'm relating to this one. For a great and effective door, there's that word again. This door of opportunity, this door for the gospel, I believe Paul is saying. It has opened unto me and there are many adversaries. But guess what? It doesn't matter that we have adversaries, that we have resistance, that we have an enemy. If Jesus Christ himself has opened a door... Some of y'all need to listen to this. Some of you really need to take this to heart. If Jesus Christ himself has opened a door for you to walk through, then in Jesus' name, by the power of the Holy Spirit of God, walk Walk through it. Listen, you are invincible. You are untouchable. The enemy himself, the devil, and all of his legion of demons cannot stop you. They cannot prevent you because you are going through a door that almighty God has opened. I don't know who that's for. And I don't know who God is calling. And I don't know what God is birthing in your spirit. But if God's in it, then guess what? It will happen. And there's no stopping it whatsoever. And then next he says, I commend you for your micros strength. Not your magnitude, prodigious, large, Herculean strength. No. Jesus said, I'm commending you because of your little strength. And God rewards and blesses the small, the inconspicuous, the nobodies. God has a way. Trust me, God has a way 
of searching in Charlotte, North Carolina for a 16-year-old hillbilly, basically, and filling him with his Holy Spirit and doing amazing things through him so that even at the ripe old age of 95, William Franklin Graham is still living for God and people are still coming to the kingdom through Billy Graham. It's the same God who takes a Gideon, a Gideon in a valley surrounded by Midianites. And Gideon takes this army of 32,000, and God says that army's way too big, and he gives him 300. And with 300, Gideon, in the strength of Almighty God of Yahweh, goes out and decimates. I mean, destroys the enemies. I want to tell you something, friend. Listen to me carefully. If God is on your side, it don't matter how small you are. It doesn't matter how vulnerable you are. It doesn't matter how inconspicuous you are. If Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is on your side, then you will win. You are in the majority. Little strength you may have, it doesn't matter. I'm finding God is attracted to weakness. God bypasses the, many times, the erudite and the strong and the proud and the arrogant. And Jesus looks for a heart that is open, that is broken, that is contrite, that says, God, I cannot do this on my own. And unless you come and infuse me with your divine power, then I will fail. And Jesus says, wonderful. A resume I'm very attracted to. One of little, small, insignificant strength. You know, we at Great Hills, I think we fit this church in many ways. We have little strength, and we're trying to do something. Unless God intervenes, we will fall flat on our face. Let me tell you what it is. I, I tell people this all the time. I tell people the most challenging and exciting thing I've ever done in my ministry is to adopt an unreached people group. We're trying to take the gospel to a people in India who have no exposure to the gospel. In Great Hills... With little strength and resources, we're going to try to go and take the gospel to a, to a people group. There are no pastors, there are no churches, there are no believers that we know of. I've taken trips, many of you have taken trips, and we're taking bits and pieces. But there's coming a day that we're going to win. We're going to win many of those, I want to say their name, but I can't, especially these... Especially these days, I've got to be extremely careful in some of the things I say and names and people and places because if it's broadcast to two billion, a bunch of them are going to be of different faiths. Can I say that? So, God knows who they are. God knows our strength is small, but guess what? Revelation chapter 5 verse 9 says that there will be people from every tribe, ethnicity, group, and language, they're going to be gathered around the throne of God. And guess what? Our little people group's going to be there because Jesus Christ determines it to be so. That's exciting, guys. I am so excited about this. Most exciting, challenging, probably thing I've ever done in, in ministry. Obedience is D, if you're keeping notes. He says, I commend you for, for all of these things, your works, your open door, 
your little strength. And you have kept my word, and I honor you for that. You have obeyed me. And I can imagine it was not easy to obey Jesus. It's not easy to obey him any time. But especially in the first century, in an illegal religion. When you are fighting against the emperors and uh, gods and goddesses of the, of the age. And you're standing for Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, I commend you. I honor you. You have kept my word. Job 23, 12 says, I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. Are you with me? I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth. More than necessary food. Obedience. You know, this is just a basic sermon, is it not? It's just the basic rudiments, fundamentals of the faith. God loves us. He's for us. We're nothing. He's everything. We obey Him. We be faithful. And we win. Boom. It took me about five seconds to say that. Now it's going to take me a little longer to extrapolate that. So so listen to this. Obedience. John Maxwell says, everything rises and falls on leadership. I believe everything rises and falls on obedience. When you obey God, just obey God. There's a family in our church, and I'm going to go ahead and tell you who it is, because I did ask for permission. And they said, yes, you feel free to share this. They had no idea I was going to share this story, but it was such an amazing story of obedience I said, Tara, do you mind if I share this? She said, James and I, we don't mind. So Tara Balladran has a sister up in Boston that she has prayed for for 23 years to come to faith in Christ. And she said, not long ago, I felt such a burden of God to go to Boston, fly to Boston, and visit my sister. She's going through a horrific time in her health, her children, her family. I mean, it's awful. And some of the things she is dealing with, and Tara told me, I'm not going to tell you what they are, but they're awful. And she said, I felt so impressed of God to get on a plane, fly to Boston, and talk to her about the Lord. Even though I've prayed for her for 23 years, she thinks I'm a little wacky. She thinks all this born-again Jesus stuff, James and I have fallen off our rocker. We're kind of weirdo. We're one of them. We're one of those Christian people. And she just says, Tara, I love you, but wow, you've lost your mind. And so she said, I feel like the Lord is leading me. She said, however, we we didn't have a $900 ticket in our budget. You say, why is it so expensive? You ever tried to get a ticket on a day's notice? It's not fun. It's difficult. So she calls her husband, James. Love this guy, military guy. He says, honey, not only is it okay, I will be home in two hours. I will pick you up personally. I will take you to the airport. You go talk to your sister, and I will take care of our children. Come on about a husband. Now, that, that's a good husband. So he, he's, he's going to do it. All right, so he does it. She can, now can, can you imagine? Here she is going, what am I doing? I've, here, here we go. I believe, I believe God's in. Listen, sometimes God doesn't make sense. I'm not being sacrilegious. I'm just being real. Sometimes God just doesn't make sense. She gets on that plane. She lands. Her sister says, what in the world are you doing? (laughs) She said, I just know God told me to come, and I just had to talk to you one more time about the Lord. And her sister says, Tara, you never know what this means to me. She drops on her knees 
and she gives her life to Jesus Christ. She's born again. Now she's one of those. Right? She's one of those, one of us wacky people. You know, speaking, of, speaking of weird things, I heard a guy speak the other day, uh, Dr. Russell Moore. He was, um, he was a, a gay, lesbian radio co-host was, um, was interviewing him. And, and I, if I may have told you all this before, but if I haven't, um, uh, just, just listen to this. If I, if I have, just listen again. I hadn't planned on saying this. This is really cool. He said, I was sitting there, and the co-host lady, she was looking at me. She's going, you believe that a male and a female are to get married and just be, like, together for the rest of their lives, and you believe that? He, he said, yes, ma'am. He goes, she goes, i got to tell you, I've never met anybody that believes that. I don't, I've never met anybody who believes that you only have supposed to have sex with one person, and that other person has to be of the opposite gender. You've got to be kidding me. And he said, ma'am, you think that's weird? <laughs> he said, I also believe in a dead guy that rose from the dead is going to come back on a horse in the eastern sky. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Glory to God. Listen, sometimes God doesn't make sense, but God's just smarter than us, so that's why we follow him. We, we obey him. And Jesus said, I honor you for your obedience. And finally, he says, I honor you for your faithfulness. Verse 8 says, you have not denied my name. Did you see that? Look at verse 8. You have not denied me. How do you deny Jesus? You deny Jesus by not living a life that honors Jesus. If you live a duplicitous, hypocritical life where your profession does not match your reality then you're denying him. For example, if you profess to know Jesus and be a Christian, and your behavior is not commensurate with your lofty profession, then you are denying Jesus. It's really that simple. I read this past week from a very reliable source that when the ISIS insurgents were going through Mosul, 800 of those jihadists put to flight 30,000 trained Iraqi soldiers. 30,000 put down their arms and ran in the presence of 800 people. Listen, they denied their name. They denied their country. And I never want to do anything that would bring harm and disrepute to the name above all names, Jesus. I never want to do anything that would dishonor my family or dishonor you as a church. I want my behavior to be commensurate with this book that I say that I believe. And church at Philadelphia, you have done that. You have honored me. You have not denied me. And so therefore, I will bless you. And finally, this is how he's going to bless them. This is a word of exaltation, then we're done. The exaltation goes like this. The people of the synagogue of Satan, over at the first church of Satan over here, who are Jews, they are Jews racially, culturally, socioeconomically, and so forth, but they're not real genuine Jews. And here's why we know that. Because the Bible says, let me get the text, Romans 2, 28, 29 says, a true Jew is somebody who's had a work of the Spirit of God, not a work in their flesh. Okay? And so Jesus says, I am going to honor you in their presence. They're going to worship at your feet, and they are going to know that I love you. You ever heard this verse? You prepare a table before me in the presence of my, anybody? And my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup runs over. 
Let me show you some linguistics, something here that was really fascinating to me. And, the, and I, I just get excited about these little things. Do y'all have time for just one grammatical thing here? Sure you do. Well, thank you. Okay, so look at verses 8 and 9. This is probably a good reason why you should bring your Bibles, okay? Because I know I printed on the screen, but unless you have your Bible with you, you can't write in notes here. So watch this. Verse 8 says, I know your works. See. Did y'all see that? No pun intended, but did you see that? See, I have set before you an open door. Now look at verse 9. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and they are not, but lie. Indeed, by the way, the same Greek word is see, indeed, indeed. And it is the Greek word idou, I-D-O-U, if you're transliterating it. It is an imperative verb. Fascinating to me. It's like Jesus is saying, he's using this word of urgency. Behold, see, can I have your attention? That's the way I'm going to translate it. Listen to me. These very people who mock you, who ridicule you, who torture you, they one day will acknowledge that I am the one true God and that you are my people and they will come and bow down before you. Oh, I got them chill bumps on my body because oftentimes it looks like, man, we're losing. Oftentimes it looks like, man, this, pot, this place is just going to hell in a handbasket. Man, it just looks like I'm just so grossly outnumbered. And Jesus says, it do. Hold on. Wait a minute. Look at me. I am the king. I am the one who died on a cross I and I alone arose from the dead, and there is coming a day. There is coming a great reversal when everybody who rejected me and ridiculed you, they will bow. They will bow before me, the one true God, and they will know that you are the true people of God. In other words, read the end of the book, and you and I win, brothers. You and I, we win this thing. And I'm grateful to God. Let me revisit something one more time and then I'm, then I'm done. I just can't get this open door out of my mind. Has God opened a door for you and you're hesitant to walk through it? Some of you say, well, Brother Danny, I just get confused. How do I know it's not the devil? And how do I know it's just, you know, me? Let me, let me ask you a question. Does it have to do with promoting the kingdom of God and people coming to faith in Jesus? I want to tell you, that's not of the devil, okay? That's never of the devil. Does it mean you got to step out on faith and you don't have the resources and you don't have the ability? You're not the smartest, you're not the prettiest, you're not the most handsome, you're not the most wealthy, and, and yet God still wants you to do this? That's probably God. Because oftentimes, God passes the most pretty. He passes the most wealthy. He passes the most affluent. You say, why? Because they think they don't need God. But I'm telling you, God is attracted to weakness. And if he's putting this antecedent for this, whatever it is, he's putting it on your heart, then you got to do it. you gotta, you got to move through it. Oh, this is too good to pass up. I honestly thought I was going to preach for about 30 minutes today. Really, I was. I thought I was going to let y'all out at 12 o'clock. I'm glad I didn't tell you I was going to do that. Because I would have been a false prophet. John Stott says this. Listen, oh, this, let, me, let me close with this. Oh, who is this for, Jesus? He does this stuff to me sometimes. It's, it's just beyond me. He says, say it, say it, say it. 
It's for her. It's for him. It's for them. Say it, Brother Daddy. Say it. Who is it for? Who is listening to me today? You are small. You are inconspicuous. You are unknown. The Spirit of the living God is coming upon you. And he said, go. March forth. Don't worry about that. Don't worry about them. I, the Lord your God, am with you. I will do everything for you except this one thing. Trust in me. Christ has the keys. He opens the door. Let us not barge our way unceremoniously through doors which are closed. The same applies to our future. Listen to this carefully. This is a strong word. More mistakes are made by speed than by sloth, by impatience rather than deleteriousness. Now, what in the world is that? I had to look that up. I like reading these smart people. They're so smart I can't understand them. But listen to this. More mistakes are probably made by speed than by sloth, by impatience than by harmful behavior. Now, here it is, here it is, here it is. God's purposes often run. Shoot. God's purposes often. I can't say it. I'm trying to say it. I want to say it. Oh, mercy. God help me. God's purposes often ripen slowly. And if the door is shut, don't put your shoulder to it. Wait on Christ. And when he takes the key out and he opens the door, then you go. Then you go. And wait till he opens the door. Father, I thank you for your word. It's amazing, God. It's so true. It's so accurate. Holy Spirit, you must have written these words because they're life, they're health to our flesh and life to our bones. They are the medicine of our soul. Lord God, who is it today that the Holy Spirit, you have impressed upon me, you have emblazoned this word upon my heart that there is a struggling, small, inconspicuous nobody that you're about to bless enormously. It may even be our church, God. It may be that you're talking to us as a whole body. You see us, you know us, you're with us. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And with your head bowed and with your eye closed, I don't have to tell you who you are. You know who you are. If God is calling you to go next door, go next door. If God is calling you to go plant a church, go plant a church. If God is calling you to marry that person, marry that person. If God is calling you to surrender and go to seminary, go. If God is calling you to this job, take it. And watch what God will do. He will use you magnificently for His kingdom. Father, I also pray if there's someone here today that is like Tara's sister. Her life is a shamble, Lord. It's broken. It's beaten. And today is the day, Lord, she realizes she needs you. I'm asking you, God, that right now to save that person. Would you surrender your heart to Christ today? Would you recognize that you need him, that you're a sinner, 
that you're on your way to a devil's hell, to a separation from Christ, and God calls you right now, repent, believe on me, believe me, I am holy, I am true, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Would you yield to the Lord today? Friend, would you do it? Would you say, yes, Lord, I give you my life. How about others of you here today that you... You're, you're new to the area and you're new to the city and you're looking for a church home. Listen, if God is calling you to be a part of this church, you need to be a part of this church. I don't know where all this church is going. All I know is it's a going. It's, it's going to do something amazing. And part of it's going to be in Austin, but a lot of it's going to be overseas. And God's going to use us. And for all eternity, we're going to be able to praise the Lamb of God for what he's going to do for such a time as this. A radiant church in Austin and the world. And if God's calling you, why don't you come? We need you. I promise you this. We need you. We need your time. We need your finances. We need your attendance. We need you. We need your faithfulness. And if God is calling you, then why don't you come? So, Lord, I just want to close with this prayer. You. You are amazing. And I love you. I pray for my people today, oh God, for a heart that says, yes, Lord. Obedience, fidelity, faithfulness. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Would you stand to your feet? God bless you. Thank you for being so patient, for listening so attentively. And as you stand to your feet, and you lift up your eyes to the Lord, and you sing these songs of praise, some of you are going to need to sing it, and I appreciate that. Some of you are not going to need to sing it. Some of you are going to need to come to this altar, to this place of grace, and meet the Lord. Some of you are going to need to come and take a pastor or a counselor by the hand and say, would you pray for me and my open door? I believe God is... He's got something for me. Would you, would you just join me and agree with me and ask God to really confirm that this is what he wants me to do? So Brother Terry's here and the team is here. They're going to lead us in song. I'm just going to keep praying and I'm going to invite you, if you would, you come on now, even as we pray.